Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Army has launched its own woke leftist ad campaign as both the intelligence community and the military continue to prioritize left-wing ideology over less important concerns like, you know, defending the country from its enemies. We'll discuss that. Also, five headlines, including a change to the dictionary that has now turned myself and millions of others into anti-vaxxers. Plus, college students are suspended for not wearing a mask off campus and outrage over a video of a brutal full-contact drill among little kids at a football practice. Is the outrage overblown or do the critics have a point? And our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the former MSNBC host who has decided that it should be legal to kill any white man who uses a racial slur. And that perspective is more popular than you'd like to think. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So war rages again in the Middle East. Major fuel lines are disabled by shadowy groups of international hackers. Gas shortages ravage the East Coast. Inflation threatens to cripple the economy. Anarchists terrorize American cities at will. Police departments collapse. Public trust in government plummets to an all-time low. The country faces an unprecedented combination of crises all at once. But don't worry. Everything is fine. The good news is that our government is run by a dementia patient. Our intelligence agencies are mostly focused on promoting diversity, and the military is busy recruiting feminists to defeat the threat posed by intolerance and hate speech. Uh, on second thought, everything is not fine. We would appear to be, to use the technical phrase, totally screwed. And there's no sign of common sense or sanity being restored in the near future. Which brings us to this. On the heels of an ad blitz by the CIA, the CIA touting its recruitment of cisgender millennial women with anxiety disorders, and gay men whose job is to keep the campus library stocked with stress-relieving board games to help agents cope with their feelings, the U.S. Army has started its own woke ad campaign. Um, a new page on the Army's website highlights the stories of, quote, five young Americans who, quote, made the most important decision of their lives for reasons as diverse as they are. Now, the five Americans, all featured in a series of short animated videos together titled The Calling, are, of course, exclusively immigrants and women. Obviously, the Army doesn't want to offend anyone by admitting that it has white men in its ranks. Most of the videos are basically unobjectionable, if somewhat odd. Um, for example, a, a, um, a lieutenant describes how he struggled in school searching for his purpose in life before deciding to pursue his lifelong goal of becoming a pilot. Uh, he assures us, quote, it doesn't take a genius to become an Army pilot. Now, this is probably true. It doesn't take a genius to learn almost any skill, but... It still doesn't fill you with confidence to hear the military making that kind of pitch for itself. Hey guys, doesn't take a genius to do this. Another video tells the tale of a first lieutenant who eventually decided to chase her dream of joining the army after spending five years as a singer on a cruise ship. A scene at the end of the little cartoon shows her staring out from the deck of a ship at sunset, singing about her soldiering dreams. Let's watch that. When I was 17, I, I had such real big dreams. I said that I want to be a soldier so I can be like you. And though the years have passed now, feeling just seems to last now. It's not too hard to grasp now. Hey, Dad, I gotta be like you. I'm just trying to imagine, 
you know, old school, very old school army veterans, uh, you know, Vietnam War vet, hasn't been paying much attention recently, turns on the TV, sees an ad for the army that's that. It just thinks, what in the hell? Now, I doubt that our adversaries will tremble in their boots when they see that our military recruitment ads strongly resemble Disney princess films. But that is all nothing compared to the profile of Corporal Emma Malone Lord. Now, she tells us about her childhood growing up in a home with two lesbian moms and her time spent marching for LGBT rights. Eventually in college, she was inspired by her sorority sisters to pursue, quote, her own adventure, which is how she settled on a career in the army where she says she can prove her inner strength and shatter stereotypes. If you want to see it, which, I mean, you probably don't, but I'll show it to you anyway, here it is. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet. Eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I am, let me say, happy that Emma has found her inner strength. But there's a question here. Do we want to promote the military as a forum of self-discovery for sorority girls? Whenever we next find ourselves in an armed conflict with a rival superpower, and we certainly will eventually, probably sooner rather than later, will the military be better equipped and able to slaughter the enemy now that it has made diversity its first priority? Now that it has sold itself as a place to have an adventure and prove your inner strength? It's quite telling that out of all five of the soldiers featured in the video series, only one says anything about wanting to defend our nation from its enemies. National defense does not seem to be a major priority of the Department of Defense these days. Perhaps that isn't entirely fair, actually. Let me back up. Credit where it's due. Um, Those entrusted to defend and secure the homeland are intent on defending and securing it from at least one physical threat. That is the threat of white supremacy. The Hill has this report this week as well. It says, Quote, the Biden administration's top law enforcement officials on Wednesday pledged to dedicate their resources to combat domestic violent extremists amid questions over whether the agencies are equipped to monitor such threats in the wake of the January 6th Capitol riot. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, appeared before the Senate Appropriations Committee for a hearing on domestic extremism as Congress ramped up its scrutiny this week of the circumstances around the attack of the Capitol. Both Garland and Mayorkas 
testified that white supremacist groups pose the most serious domestic national security threat in the U.S., reinforcing what analysts have long concluded about far-right organizations. Um, both the Attorney General and the Secretary of Homeland Security agreed with Senator Patrick Leahy's statement that white supremacists represent, quote, the most persistent lethal threat. Let's watch that moment. But you do agree with your predecessors that white supremacist extremists remain the most persistent lethal threat in the homeland? I, I do believe they, they do at this time, uh, <laughs> Mr. Chairman. And Attorney General Garland, do you agree? I do, and that's the uh, most recent assessment of the FBI. First of all, when are the, how old is that guy? 640? We just retire, you people. Um, anyway, going into more detail, Garland w- went on to, to claim that, uh, quote, the top domestic violent extremist threat we face comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocate for the superiority of the white race. In other words, says Garland, the greatest threat we face comes from violent extremists, but not the ones who've been rampaging through our cities, inflicting billions of dollars of damage, blocking traffic, harassing innocent people, and attacking random bystanders. Those extremists are often racially motivated themselves, but they're not the ones we should be worried about. Instead, according to the people at the highest levels of government, the racially motivated extremists that should attract our attention are the ones who aren't doing anything and are nowhere to be seen. Black supremacists can whip up a mob of thousands in an instant and terrorize cities for weeks on end. White supremacists can't do anything close to that, probably because they're hampered by the fact that they don't exist for the most part, which is a little bit of a logistical challenge I have found. Uh, you know, if you want to do something, but you don't exist, it's got, it, 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 it presents problems. This is a threat that guys like Garland have fabricated. Now, perhaps they really are up at night, frantically tossing and turning, screaming, no, the white supremacists are coming. But I doubt it. The people who invent the boogeyman don't actually believe in it themselves. It is more that they are politically bound to this conclusion. But whatever the motivations, we are left with the reality that the people running our government and in charge of defending this country against enemies, foreign and domestic, are all either left-wing ideologues or hollow shells and useful pawns for left-wing ideologues. I mean, all of them at the highest levels. They recognize no duty more sacred and solemn than to fulfill that role. They are loyal only to the ideology. They have infiltrated and effectively incapacitated every institution because they will not allow any institution, even the military, to have any priorities above and beyond the propagation of left-wing doctrine. All things and all people must be evangelists for their religion. That is how everything and everyone's ultimate purpose can be fulfilled in the mind of our leftist overlords. And no doubt, our enemies are watching this happen and laughing to themselves and licking their chops and biding their time. All of this, I guess, is just a long way of saying that you can start a free trial of Rosetta Stone today if you want to learn Chinese, which you probably should. Let's get now to our five headlines. Uh, We are, man, we're in the process of moving right now. Can I just whine and complain for one second here? Uh, And then for the rest of the show. We've been living in a rental in uh, Nashville, but now we're moving into our into our home. Um, 
and it, it, it is it is really the worst. I don't recommend moving at all. We, we've moved six or seven times and it never gets easier. But at the same time, it, especially when you add like add more and more kids into the equation. But at the same time, it's, it's also potentially edifying because it is it's an opportunity to confront your own materialism. And so, you know, I've, I've gone through this. My wife and I, we've gone through this every time we move, uh, but, and especially in, in, this most, this, in this latest move. Because you never realize how materialistic you are until you move and, and you see all of your stuff in boxes. And you think to yourself, what, what, what is that? How do I have all this stuff? Where did this come from? How did I buy all of this? How am I not bankrupt already from buying all this stuff? Then you start going through the boxes and you're like, wait, did I, did I buy this 12-foot statue of a frog in a suit of armor or whatever? And then I think back, I think about you know, the, the, the Oregon Trail, okay, early pioneers. They would pack all of their, it's like a, a family of 17, and they would pack all of their belongings, everything they owned in a wagon and set off into the wilderness. And these days, a family of three, you know, you need 14 trucks to move across, uh, the, across the city. Uh, it really is sad. Of course, on the Oregon Trail, the other thing is a uh, family of 16, like half of them would die on the way. So I guess they needed less stuff once they got there. But still, the point is a lot of materialism. And I'm uh, very much part of the problem. All right, well, let's start here. We should probably start with, uh, I think, the big news. The big news is that now I am officially an anti-vaxxer. This is my coming out moment. Um, I'm coming out as an anti-vaxxer. I can finally reveal my true identity. I begin my new life today as an anti-vaxxer. Pretty exciting. You, you probably do as well. I never really expected to be an anti-vaxxer. Um, but according to the newly revamped dictionary, I am. So Zuby, who's a, a rapper and a conservative and has a pretty big social media following, he tweeted this. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary has changed their definition of anti-vaxxer to include, quote, people who oppose laws that mandate vaccination. Welcome to 1984. This is the Ministry of Truth. So if you oppose laws that mandate vaccination, that now makes you an anti-vaxxer, according to the change in the dictionary. Which, of course, is how that label, that term has, is, has been used now for several months. Because, you know, when you think anti-vaxxer, someone who's anti-vaccine, you think, oh, well, that's someone who's anti-vaccine. They're against vaccines. And there are some people in that camp, some, who are against all vaccines. But I think it's a, probably a pretty small category. And then, and then there are more people who are kind of more skeptical about vaccines. They're not against all of them in principle, but they, you know, they're, they're also not going to just take every single vaccine that they're told to take, or they're not going to give every vaccine, every vaccine to their kid that they're told. You know, they want to know a little bit more about it, uh, which is a reasonable perspective. And then there are the people who, even aside from the vaccines themselves, don't think that the government should be forcing its citizens to inject substances into their body, no matter what the substance is. And uh, I am very much in that category. As far as the vaccines themselves, as I've said a million times, my position on whether or not you should get the vaccine is I frankly don't care. That's totally your decision. Completely up to you. 
Yeah, I don't have an opinion about what things you you should inject into your body. That's you got to make your own decision, and uh, and that's fine. And if 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 there's a whether we're talking about COVID or any other communicable disease, and there's a vaccine available for it, if I trust the vaccine and I'm worried about it, I can get the vaccine. Then and then you know it doesn't affect me what your choice is. But as far as whether or not people should be forced to do it, obviously not. Yet. Anti-vaxxer. So that's, we, we have now, the, the anti-vaxxing ranks have probably grown a hundredfold just with this change in definition. All right. Uh, number two, CBS reports this. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis says she will seek the death penalty for the Atlanta spa shooting suspects despite campaigning on her opposition to it. This is pretty revealing. This is someone who campaigned, member of the far left, supposedly anti-death penalty campaigned as, as, uh, as anti-death penalty. Uh, and obviously when you're, when you're campaigning as a district attorney, the death penalty is not some academic issue. It's, it's really important, uh, very relevant to the position that you're going to be, that you're campaigning to, to win. She said she's anti-death penalty. That was what a, a year ago that she was campaigning as anti-death penalty. Now she's changed her mind. Let's, let's listen to her explain her change of heart. I, along with my staff, have made a determination that this office will seek the death penalty. Last year, I told the voters of Fulton County that I could not imagine a circumstance where I would seek it. And at that time, I did not. Unfortunately, a case has arisen in the first few months of my term that I believe warrants the ultimate penalty, and we shall seek it. By the way, to begin with, let me, let me say, uh, I agree that it warrants the ultimate penalty. You go and randomly sw- slaughter innocent people, you should get the death penalty. I'm fully on board with that. But I would have said that before the spa shootings in Atlanta. Um, yeah, she's completely changed her position and that only shows that, and I think this is very often the case on the left, that the opposition to the death penalty is not, it's not based in any coherent, solid principle. And we know that it can't be because these are, are people who believe in executing babies in the womb. So when they say they're against executions, they're against the death penalty, we already know that there's a huge, huge exception there. Asterisk, and it's a huge exception, uh, except for all the babies in the womb. So we know that already. It's not based in any real principle. What is it based in? Well, politi- political expedience, for one, and, um, and emotion, really. It's an emotional thing. Most of the time, someone like Fannie Willis, she feels, you know, she can, she, she, she certainly can't empathize with, she has no real empathy for babies in the womb because they can't see the babies in the womb. They can't advocate for themselves. You know, we, we, we can have interviews and things with, uh, with criminals on death row 
and you see them sitting there pathetic and weak and just and and you know they're behind bars and obviously now that they're behind bars they're not really a threat to anyone so they've been neutered they're pathetic they're weak they're just sitting there someone like Fannie Willis she can connect with them and feel some empathy sometimes you can't do that with babies in the womb there's no interviews with them there's no documentaries where we where we can interview and get their perspective on it they are silent. They are hidden. And so there's no emotional connection, at least for people on the left. And so we say, we'll go ahead and, and slaughter them. No big deal. Not the case for, uh, for the people on death row. And so it's all emotional. But in this case, her emotions are, are different. Because what she considers, you know, e- even though it's never even been established, that the, the killer in the Atlanta spa shootings was motivated by race. In fact, all indications are that he wasn't motivated by race. He's not a, it's, it, this was not a racist killing. And it doesn't matter anyway. You slaughter all those people. It's, what, is, what does your motive even really matter? It's not like there's any motive you could have for doing that that would make it worse. It's already the worst thing that you can do. It's as bad as it gets. So your motive, for my mind, is a moot point. For Fannie Willis, um, she, number one, considers him a racist and, and has decided that this is race motivated, even if it wasn't. And being a racist is the ultimate sin. That's even actually worse than, than murder. So we're going to execute him. You know, she says, like, th- this, this is a, a crime that warrants the ultimate penalty. Okay, again, Agreed. But I don't know, I, I, I think it probably wouldn't take me very long on Google to find a lot of horrific crimes that have been committed in Atlanta. Did none of them warrant the ultimate penalty? I am quite certain that I could right now on Google find examples over the last year of children being murdered in Atlanta. That didn't war- warrant the ultimate penalty? Why not? Just no principle here whatsoever. All right, let's move uh, number three here. This is from Fox. A video of a youth football drill went viral Tuesday and sparked outrage on social media. With many wondering whether children should be doing something like this, the eight-second clip shows a young ball carrier going head-to-head with a would-be tackler. Uh, The ball carrier lowers his helmet and runs over the defender and appeared the two connected with each other's helmets. The defender hit the ground and was a little shaken up. Video shows. It's unclear when the video was taken or what youth, youth football program was hosting the drills. The Tennessee Titans logo was on the field. And the players' helmets, the, t- the Titans, USA Football, and Pop Warner didn't immediately respond to Fox News' request for comment on the video. Uh, this went pretty viral yesterday. A bunch of sports media people and former NFL guys chimed in on it, and they were all very much on the side of... Uh, uh, they, were, they, they were all outraged at the coach, and they said that this drill is not appropriate for kids. We have the clip. Let's, um, let's play this here. Let's play the clip. Here are the kids lined up. run. Oh. I wanted to play that because I wanted you to hear, number one, you hear the reaction from the coaches. They're laughing. And if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube or on dailywire.com, you can see the kids and how, and how they match up. So it's kind of like a pursuit tackling drill. And the one, the, the ball carrier has, I mean, several inches on the, uh, the tackler or the would-be tackler. And I would guess like, 
you know, seven or eight pounds as well, which is a lot at that age. So they are not evenly matched up. These are young kids. I mean, how old are these kids? Probably, I don't know, eight, eight years old, maybe. Um, these are young kids, not evenly matched up. The, 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 you know, the tackler doesn't have proper form at all, which is, which is, which is expected at that age, but he runs in. Now you got to get down. You got to get low to make that tackle, but he runs in, he's standing straight up. And then the, uh, the ball carrier hits him. It's clearly helmet to helmet contact, which is, which is, you know, against the rules in, in football. And then, uh, and then the kid falls back and he smacks the back of his head against the ground. That's got concussion written all over. I would be shocked if that little kid, that eight-year-old kid, does not have a concussion from that. I mean, almost certainly he's got a concussion. Because he gets, he gets smacked in the front of his head, and then he hits the ground hard on the back of his head. The first part of his body to hit the ground is his head, absorbing all of that impact. And you watch that and you think, and, and we don't know the context here, and as the Fox News article says, we don't know where this was or, or anything Seems like it was probably probably local here in Nashville because of the Tennessee Titans logo, but we don't really know. Um, but I think there are some pretty safe assumptions we can make. One is that you know, the coaches or whoever is filming this. Why are they filming it? It seems likely that they filmed it because they knew that these kids were not evenly matched and the one kid was about to get blown up and they knew it. And so they filmed it. So they, could get, so, they, so they could get that. So they thought it'd be funny. So they've got a kid, it would seem, sustaining potential head trauma for their amusement, and they think it's funny. That is, uh, look, I'm all about, I, I, I'm fine with kids playing football. This is, a, this is an argument I have with my wife sometimes. I, you know, I think it's fine to have kids play football. She she's, does, doesn't really like the idea for, for this exact reason. Um, so we go back and forth about that sometimes, but personally I'm fine with kids playing football and I'm all about, like, you got to toughen kids up. You got, especially boys, you got to toughen them up a little tough love sometimes. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not big into babying kids as you can imagine, but this is just not acceptable at all. That is, that's actually horrific that, 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 you know, you can make an argument that that's criminal. If I'm right that they knew these kids were, were unevenly matched and that, and that kid was about to be smacked to the ground like that and they filmed it because of it for their amusement, then I think this goes beyond bad coaching and we could look at criminal charges. It's, this is a serious deal. I mean, head, head injuries at any age, but especially for kids as they're growing, that's not some small thing. The effects of that in the long term can be devastating. And really, look, there's, there's no reason for kids at that age to be running a drill like that. You know, you don't run a drill like that, pursuit tackling, full on, you know, head of steam. You got to make a tackle on a guy when he's coming. He's got a full head of steam and he's coming at you. You don't run a drill like that until everybody on the team has absolutely mastered the form of tackling. Has mastered the, the art of tackling. And probably most eight-year-olds haven't, aren't going to master it. So there's no reason to be running that drill or drill anything like it at that age. At that age, it should be all about learning the form. And yeah, you can, there are drills you can do to learn uh, pursuit tackling, to learn form tackling without actually having full-on collisions like that. And that's what they should be doing. 
Um, without the full contact, learning, learning, just r- running through the drills, learning the form, learning the form, drilling that into their head. And then later on at the older ages, that's when you introduce the full contact head of steam collisions like that. So I think that's pretty, that's, that's just pretty horrific. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, this is one of the reasons why when you watch the NFL, a lot of the tackling in the NFL even now is, is horrible. They got a horrible form because you go down to the earliest ages and they have these idiot coaches who don't know what they're doing and aren't teaching proper form. So even in the NFL, you see these defenders, the way that they, the way they try to make tackles is just by launch, like a torpedo, they just launch their whole body at someone. They don't wrap up. They don't do anything like that. This is where it starts. Young ages. All right. Um, let's go here. Another article from Fox News. It says the parents of three University of Massachusetts Amherst students who were suspended for allegedly violating the school's COVID-19 health policy told Fox and Friends the draconian punishment was completely overkill. The decision was reportedly was made after school administrators got hold of a photo of the trio maskless at a party off campus. The students, all women, were first removed from campus and then were cut off from their remote lessons. Um, and then they, they talked about the situation on Fox and Friends. But they were, so they were off campus, not even on campus, and now they're suspended for not wearing a mask. How did the school find out about this? Well, apparently they posted the pictures to, I guess it was Instagram or some social media thing. And then someone else at the school, another student apparently, uh, took the screenshot and sent that over to the school and said, look what they're doing. Teacher, teacher. That's one element, one part of the story over the last year um, that, that I, maybe the thing that I find most disturbing is all of the snitching that has gone on among citizens. I wish that this was just a us versus them type of thing. And you have the the government tyrants oppressing, you know, the, the public. And we're all we're all in it together. That's what we've been told. We're all in this together. I wish I could say that. But it hasn't been quite that simple. Because a lot of just average citizens have shown themselves perfectly willing and even eager to turn on uh, on their neighbors. Or their classmates. Snitch on them. Get them in trouble. Because that's power too. You know, that's... We talked yesterday about these government bureaucrats and everything. And, and, and how they've... We've given them all this power. They're reluctant, of course, to give it back. Um, but a lot of average citizens also find power. When they can, you know, get someone in trouble. They can manipulate, impose their will through the means of government force. And they don't want to give up on that either. All right, let's... Uh, okay, finally, we have this from CBS. It says, officials are warning people not to pour gasoline into plastic bags amid panic over a shortage of gas in southeastern states. Um, the uh, U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission posted a flurry of tweets advising people not to carry gasoline in plastic bags or any other container not approved to carry fuel. The agency tweeted on Wednesday, do not fill plastic bags with gasoline. We know this sounds simple, but when people get desperate, they stop thinking clearly. And then it also says, there's there actually a bunch of tweets about basic safety with uh, when, when, you know, 
using gasoline. Another one was um, don't pour gasoline over an open flame. Uh, you know, this might be one of those Darwin, Darwin Award type things where if someone needs that, there, there are some lessons you just need people to learn the hard way. I don't know. Maybe that's one of them. Is that actually a, a pro- is that a thing? Is that a problem? People pouring gasoline into plastic bags? Or is this the government inventing a problem just to give them an excuse to lecture us? I don't know. All right, let's move on now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Jesse B. He says, Matt, you're 100% dad listening to expound on the joys of parenthood and the visuals you gave for yourself and wife as a young couple growing together through the years and stages of parenthood could be a poem. That was sweet. Well, it's not very often that people have a, a reason to call me sweet, but I will. Normally that will get you banned, but I'm feeling nice today, so I'll, I'll let it go. Adam says, my wife is very, a very successful surgeon, but she always says being a mother is her greatest accomplishment. But, you know, Adam, that's a nice sentiment, and it sounds like your wife is a great woman and a great mother. Uh, I will say, though, not to be pedantic, but being a mother is not her greatest accomplishment because it's not an accomplishment at all. Simply being a mother is not an accomplishment. Literally any physically healthy woman can be a mom, right? There's, there's no achievement there. The achievement is to be a good mom, to be a good parent, which I'm sure she is. I'm not saying she isn't, but I do think it's important for us to remember that if we want to call parenting an accomplishment, um, we have to earn that. And sometimes maybe as parents, we can lose sight of it. So it is, it is important to remind ourselves. I'm sure your wife has earned it or will. I'm, I'm offering this as kind of a general thought. It's kind of like you hear parents all the time say, uh, having a kid was the greatest thing I ever did, the best, the best thing I ever did. And it, it, it can be, and I hope it was. But that's also up to you. It's not, it's, it's like you have the kid, but then there's the whole, that's the easy part. Especially easy if you're the man, the having the kid part. Because we don't, we don't really have much of a role at all. Although we still have more of a role in that than I wish, because I wish we were back in the 50s when the man would be at the hospital, they have the smoking room, and we're gonna we're just out there smoking, waiting for the deed to be done, everything's cleaned up, and then we're called back into the room. I would prefer that. But either way, even for the women, the, ha- the actual having of the child is the easy part compared to the challenge of now being a parent on a day-to-day basis. Um, and that's where, you know, that's where the accomplishment comes from. Now, being... A good parent for for years, right? Every single day, waking up every single day and being a good parent, not perfect, but good. That is extremely difficult. And if you can pull that off in a sustained fashion, then I would say that is a great achievement and would probably be anyone's greatest achievement in life. Um, Trust Me says, here's my thought when I hear Fauci speak. Good thing the emperor wears no clothes. It allows us to feel, to see how full of bat guano he is. You know, I got to say, I prefer not to think of Fauci naked. My God, I just thought about it. I'll never recover from this. This is your fault. You put that thought in my head. Um, Mr. Kwong says, Matt, I tried finding a wife when I was young, but didn't find my wife until I was in my late 30s. I agree with you completely about getting married and having kids when you're young. Because it's hard for me to keep up with my two young boys, but God didn't have me marry and have kids until I was older. So I'm going to encourage my kids to get married when they're in their 20s. Right, that's what we were talking about, the advantages of marrying young and how it should be encouraged. 
in society. It's better, generally speaking, that people are getting married younger than, than the situation we have now. Uh, but that's also why I said it's, that's not going to be, it's not how it's going to work for everybody. So your own individual situation might be different, but when we talk about what our general goal should be and attitude should be, I think that should be it. Um, Christian says, please react to the masterpiece Back in Blood by Pooh Shiesty. I think it has a lot to say about the essence of human existence and is one of the finest pieces of musical art the current generation has produced. What? Pooh Shiesty? Is, is this a rapper, I assume? Pooh Shiesty. I assume as a rap, I don't know exactly what the process is as a rapper for picking a, a name, what your rap name is going to be, but I assume you can really pick anything you want and you go with Pooh? Pooh is in Winnie the Pooh? I assume to have a name like that and pull that, I don't know anything about, about Mr. Pooh Shiesty, but I will assume to have a, you got to be a real tough guy, you know, to, to pull off a name like that. And to not be ruthlessly mocked for it every single day. I got to assume this is a, a, a tough guy. But I'll, I'll look into that song and maybe we'll review it. If I, I, and I, I believe you 100% that, it, that it, it sounds like it probably is a fine piece of art. And I'll look into that. And finally, Carrie says, I love how as soon as Matt demanded everyone hit the like button, the likes jumped by about 500 likes. Did they really? Maybe that's it. So you have all these other YouTubers who are groveling for likes. Hey, smash that like button. Yuck, yuck. Come on. Um, but maybe maybe I've stumbled on what it really is. You have to demand. Put down your foot and demand it. Hit that like button. Hit it right now. We'll see if it worked again. I prefer, I prefer that method. And now I want to tell you about something very easy for me to talk about, and that is Redneck Riviera Whiskey. Uh, if you believe in standing for the national anthem, uh, supporting our military and first responders, and if you want to celebrate a job well done, then Redneck Riviera Whiskey is your whiskey. Sourced from America's heartland, blended and bottled in Kentucky, Redneck Riviera Whiskey is the smoothest whiskey available. I can attest to that. It is a very, it is a very smooth whiskey. Um, and it's just got a great, great taste. From the glass to the cork and whiskey inside, it's 100% made in America, as all whiskeys should be. The Redneck Riviera brand is also 100% owned by John Rich. This isn't just another celebrity-endorsed brand. A portion of all profits proudly benefit the Folds of Honor. To date, Redneck Riviera Whiskey has funded over 110 college grants for kids who've lost mom or dad while serving our country. Redneck Riviera Whiskey can be found in 48 states and over 11,000 retail stores like Walmart, Winn-Dixie, Public Safeway, uh, Specs, and many others. You, this is a, this is a, you want to talk about a win-win situation. You're getting a great whiskey, but you're also supporting uh, an awesome cause. So for more information or to find a store near you, visit RedneckRiviera.com. That's RedneckRiviera.com. And make sure always to drink American. Redneck Riviera Whiskey is a distilled spirit with 40% ABV. Redneck Spirits Group is responsible for this ad and is located at 10917 Old Harrods Wood Circle, Louisville, Kentucky, 40223. And if you're a fan of my show, you know that I'm uh, pretty much... You know that I'm always right about it. Even when I contradict myself, I'm right on both ends somehow. So when I say we're in the middle of an authoritarian power grab by the out-of-touch weirdos at the top, you should probably believe me. Uh, and if you don't, just think about that for a moment. Lockdowns, cancel culture, the ideological indoctrination of children that I'm always talking about, it's all right there. That's why you should pick up a copy of Ben Shapiro's new, new book, The Authoritarian Moment, to learn how we got here and how to fight back. So if you want to preserve your individual rights and protect the ones you love from mob rule, the Authoritarian Moment is now available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. Go there now. Make sure to pre-order it. 
Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Daily cancellation today, surely one of the most deserving cancellations I have yet dished out, starts with a story out of Dunkin' Donuts in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Last week, according to police, a Dunkin' Donuts employee named Corey Pujols uh, punched a 77-year-old customer in the head, knocked him to the ground, and fractured his skull. The victim died in the hospital two days later. Pujols uh, has has been charged with aggravated manslaughter because of it. Now, the assailant says that he assaulted the elderly man because the man had repeatedly used a racial slur. Apparently, the man was upset about uh, what he perceived to be poor service at Dunkin' Donuts that day. They they argued, things escalated, and that's when the victim allegedly used the slur. We're not told what the slur wa- was, um, nor is there any proof that it actually was used. It doesn't really matter what was said, obviously, as no word po- could possibly justify murder. But it is worth noting, all the same, that the assailant claims a slur was used. By no means does that guarantee that it actually was used. Because he used a racial slur as an, as an excuse often offered in these situations, and very often it ends up being a lie. Either way, in this case, the assailant killed someone, and uh, that's all that matters here. At least as far as I can tell. Enter now former MSNBC host Tori Neblett. The Daily Wire reports, quote, Neblett publicly celebrated the death of a 77-year-old white man who re- was reportedly punched by a black employee after using a racial slur to Dunkin' Donuts. Tori, who goes by his first name, hit up social media to celebrate. He wrote, quote, a 77-year-old white customer at Dunkin' Donuts was upset about something, and he called a black 27-year-old employee the N-word. The brother told him to say it again. The old man did. The brother knocked him out. The old man fell, lost consciousness, and died. He effed around and found out. Um, Tory was not yet done celebrating and justifying the physical assault, later asserting that saying the N-word is a, quote, violent act, and he classified Pujols' deadly assault as self-defense. Tory said, how else will white people learn? Uh, if there was an actual justice in this country as opposed to white justice, then if you went to someone's minimum wage job and called them the N-word twice, whatever happened after that would be legally acceptable. Tory went on for a while longer. You know, he, uh, he was arguing his case that a black man has a right to murder you in self-defense if you say a word that makes him sad. He even posted a poll asking his followers if, if they believe that a black man who kills a white man for saying a word should be acquitted. In the poll, 70% of his followers said yes, he should be acquitted. Now, I wish that I could just chalk this up to Tory being a horrible person, an idiot, a psychopath, and he is indeed all of those things, but he's not alone. This is a prevailing belief. There is a prevailing belief out there that white people who utter certain syllables ought to lose their right to live. And we've known about this belief for a while. Just think back to last summer when a Macy's employee was brutally assaulted by a black man on film, and it was roundly celebrated because the black man claimed that the employee used the N-word. And that turned out to be a lie because, again, these claims are very often lies. But the fact is that lots of people were willing to give him a pass for felony assault on the basis that he heard a word that made his tummy hurt. Indeed, even after the story was revealed as a lie, lots of people still wanted to give him a pass because the victim was white and therefore probably deserved it anyway for one reason or another. I mean, he might not have said the N-word, but he, but he, he might have thought it. Or at least at some point in the past, he, he probably has said it or thought it or maybe probably heard it like in a song or something and, and therefore thought it. It seems like a rather fruitless exercise to actually engage intellectually with the argument that black people have the right to kill other humans who use bad words. But it seems we have to engage with it because this is an idea that is far more popular than you'd like to believe. And on that end, I have a couple of brief thoughts. First of all, 
we have here another example, a big example of the bigotry of low expectations. Now, Tory is black himself, so it's a sort of strange self-bigotry, self-loathing thing in his case. Certainly among the white people who endorse Tory's point of view, and again, there are more in that camp than you'd like to believe, uh, what they're saying is that the black man who kills the white man over a word cannot be expected to control himself. It would be unreasonable, as the logic goes, to demand that he refrain from beating an elderly man to death. He's upset, and we must allow him to convey his emotions in whatever way feels right to him. We can't expect anything more. A similar attitude is taken towards rioters and looters who, whose uh, wanton destruction must be understood and sympathized with because, as we are reminded, they're sad and they're angry. And, and what else can we expect them to do? We have heard that exact argument many times. Well, they're, they're angry. What, what else would you expect of them? This, along with being totally insane, is also horrifically demeaning and degrading. As much as I decry the double standard that gives one person license to act out violently but not another and grants the license based on race, at the same time, I'm not sure I'd want anyone to ever argue in my favor and on my behalf by saying that I should be allowed to kill people or burn down buildings when I'm angry and that it would be oppressive to hold me to a standard of basic human decency. That's the kind of advocacy that I don't want for me. Now, second point, it must be reiterated that the N-word, assuming that's what the victim in this case said, if he said anything at all, the N-word is not a mystical incantation. It doesn't have magical powers. Despite what Tori argues, it's not some sort of witch's spell that might physically harm you, and, 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 and therefore you need to physically defend yourself against it. It's a word. It's just a word. It's a bad word. It's a slur. It is right in line with many other slurs and profanities. There are a lot of them out there. Um, all of these words are words. They are comprised of syllables. They are sounds that a person makes with their mouth. The special power and near mystical quality that we've attributed to this one word and this one word alone is absurd and indefensible on every level. The rules which decree that you may say the word in any context if you have a certain skin tone, but if you have another skin tone, you can't say it in any context, not even when quoting someone or reading from a book. And if you do say it, you could be killed. All of this is abject lunacy. And the thing is, everybody knows that it's lunacy. Everyone knows it. But it's lunacy that we're expected to simply accept without question. And, you know, there's a lot of that sort of thing in our culture today. And that is why Tory today is most definitely absolutely canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. 
Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva, and our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Libs make a martyr out of Liz Cheney, Rand Paul rips Dr. Fauci, and Fareed Zakaria pushes a failed foreign policy by repeating the same old slogans. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.